Broadcasting live from our satellite studios in New York City, New York, it's time for the special on-the-road edition of Learning Insights, featuring learning professionals who are improving performance and driving business results. And we are back for another exciting and informative edition of Learning Insights. Stone Peyton, Lee Cantor here on behalf of Training Pros, broadcasting live from Park Avenue in the Helmsley Building. Lee, we're on the home stretch. We have a couple more conversations, right? And we get after this to enjoy that great elevator ride down because I'm sure our guest knows that it's one of the most beautiful elevators in the country. I got to tell you, the feedback has been that the interviews have been adequate. They they appreciate uh, appreciate us being here. They appreciate training pros making it. But uh, what they're all bragging about is the elevators. Yeah, and I think we'll do the last <laughs> the last interview on the on elevator. the elevator. <laughs> I think that is perfect. Now this is going to be a fantastic segment. Uh, I saw the paperwork early on because, of course, I did my pre-show research as early as, as breakfast. you should. You're probably just now seeing the packet. Uh, but in this segment, please join me in welcoming to the broadcast Senior Vice President Change management practice lead with a company I think we all recognize, Lee Hecht Harrison. Please join me in welcoming to the show, Miss Joanne Lane. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me. For the two people who may not know what Lee Hecht Harrison is all about, can you share a little bit of what, what you guys are up to? Sure. So Lee Hecht Harrison is a global firm and we deal in four areas. We're mostly known for outplacement, career transition. We Mm -hmm. help people leave organizations and, you know, reconnect with other organizations. And then the part that I'm in is called talent development. Mm -hmm. And there we deal with three things, change management, employee engagement and leadership development. So the other part is very well known, Mm -hmm. but the talent development part is lesser known. Until now. Until now. <laughs> we're, here, we're here to change that. Exactly. So change management, can you share a little bit? What is change management? Well, basically, it's thinking and behaving in a way that makes your change that you're experiencing have more positive outcomes, right? So that's the general sort of gist of it. For organizations, it's really a process that has tools and techniques that enhance the positive aspects of change and look to reduce the uh, negative dimensions of change. So now, if you were to poll 100 people, yes, how many people would say, change? I love change. And how many people say, you know what? I'm okay with the way things are. (laughs) So the way I describe it with the 100 people, I say 10 would say Yahoo, 10 would say Boohoo, right? And 80 would say it depends. Really? (laughs) So 80 can um, 80 can be persuaded to possibly could be. It depends (laughs) on what's changing, how quickly, you know, how it impacts them. So it's really wait and see for most people. Mm -hmm. And then when you're implementing change in an organization, is that something that you can? If you do it right, make more than the 80% you can get them to be okay. Yeah, yeah. And that's the job for people like me is to really take the reluctant ones and make them lean more toward the Yahoo side (laughs) than the Boohoo side. And you've seen that happen in real life? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, because what does it mean? It means that the reason I'm reluctant is usually because I have this notion about what change is going to be. And usually it's that it's going to be bad. Right? And you're fearful, right? Exactly. And so if I can help you reduce that fear and be open to it might have something good in it, 
then I can, you know, sort of sway you to the other way. So that's why I say it's a way of thinking right. first and behaving secondly. So what's the first thing you do when you're in this kind of, if something, if you know something's happening, there's going to be change in the organization. She takes two weeks off. <laughs> first thing <laughs> she does is get ready. Get <laughs> Call <steeled. in> sick. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So what do you do first? Well, the first thing I need to find out is why is it changing? Because if people don't buy the why, they won't buy the change. Mm -hmm. So I really need to hear it, right? So why are we doing this? So like, I'll give you an example. If I just walked in here and let's say, well, you guys are not, you're not wearing a watch. Are you wearing a watch? No. If I just said, change something about yourself. And I used to do this with watches. I said, just change the arm you have your watch on. Right. Then I would just go on with the interview and I've never come back to it. Then 20 minutes later, I'd say, how are you doing with that watch? And I'd notice you changed it back. <laughs> <laughs> And I'd be that like, was, that well, was a bridge too far. So why, did, why did you do that? Well, you never told me why I changed it in the first place. Mm -hmm. And it, I didn't like it over there. It was uncomfortable. Right. And I keep looking over here and there's <laughs> nothing here. And so now you're really, you know, changing my whole mood. Right. And that's the way it is for people. And that's why the first thing I need to hear is why are you changing? And then when the uh, leader of an organization says why, are you believing the first why or do you have to kind of dig deeper? Yeah, to I need get to five the to five. Why? <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I will tell you that most leaders will tell you the the why has something to do with either financial performance mm -hmm. or some kind of competitive performance, right. right? So market performance or financial performance. So that's the why they give you, right? And then right. you ask them why two more right, times, right? Right. <laughs> but like I say, it usually to tell you the truth, at the end of the day, it usually does circle back to that. Right. The problem is many of our leaders when they tell the organization it's blue skies and rainbows uh, right. and all this kind of stuff rather than say we need to make more money <laughs> and this is what we need to do to make more money we say oh we're going to have synergies and we're going to save the world and you know it's going to be world peace mm -hmm. when we instant but it's not you know right and then is it a challenge in an organization that maybe have there's not a level of trust where they even believe the why so here's the thing. I have this running um, bet with the trainers in my organization that you cannot talk about change and the word trust not come up. You know, when I was little, mm. I used to watch this thing with Groucho Marx and there was a bird and right, a, a duck, a, a duck and a word right. or something like that. I used to watch with my grandmother. <laughs> and this is what I see when I talk about change. You can't talk about it without trust. So trust is like integral. Like if I don't believe what you're saying about what it is or whatever, even if I don't like it, right? If I trust you, I'm with you. Right. But you at least get the benefit of the exactly, doubt, right? Exactly. It's sort of like when your mother says, try, eat this, you know, it's good for you or whatever. You, it probably doesn't mm -hmm. look too good, right. but you trust she's not going to poison you. It's the same thing, you know, in organizations. But I find that trust for the most part is really very iffy at work very iffy i'll say it's the few leaders that have that kind of you know great trust among their people but what do you do if an organization has maybe gone through a period of time where there was lack of trust or there was turbulence mm -hmm. let's say um right. and then now something comes up they bring you in you gotta kind of tell them that this is coming right and um you know, they just got to deal with them. And that's just the reality of the situation. I mean, it might have been bad yesterday, but today is today exactly. and we're going forward. Yeah, well, so the number one thing we believe is that if you're open and transparent 
and authentic with people, they will trust you even if they don't like it. What where the trust comes is that I actually don't believe right. you know what you're saying. So I don't trust it, right? But sometimes in an organization you have a situation where that you're like, oh, today's a new day and today we're gonna, you know, listen to our people and we're gonna really right. pay attention to what you say. Right. And you're like, Yeah, sure. And then the person that the change is happening to is just looking for uh look they're lying right. or this is just right. another right. there's a new program because some guy read a book you she know, won't like, be here in 18 months anyway <laughs> right. exactly. i just gotta ride this oh, thing out say. right <laughs> so here's the thing so what you're talking about is really that i have to feel whatever it is you're talking about mm -hmm. so you know if you're mm -hmm. saying oh employees are our most important <laughs> asset and blah 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 but i don't feel like i'm treated like an asset and it right i don't it's i not got too happening. much scar tissue exactly here. <laughs> so that really is about what we call dis demonstrative caring, right? right? Yeah. So I'm not feeling it, so it must not be true. Uh huh. Right? So now you are able to put the if they're in that pile of the eighty percent, are you able to move that person, or do you just shoot for, hey, let's just get back to some neutral, and then maybe we yeah, can change them over you time? Know, it's very interesting. So um, the amount of people that are moved. I would say depends on the amount of people that can look at the situation and see it for both the challenge and the opportunity. Mm -hmm. It has so much to do with their perception right. of what this can be. You know what I mean? So like if I'm predisposed to every change that ever happened, I got the raw end of the stick or it turned out negative and that's my lens I'm going to be hard to move, right? Because right. I got this built-up cynicism. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I'm more open and say, well, five changes, I turned out good, and two, not so good. Let's see what this <laughs> one brings. It's very different. So your perception of what's possible absolutely influences whether I can move you a little bit. Move you a little bit, right? So I have a question about the yahoos, right? Yeah, the yahoos. So and, and, I, and I know at, at, at first that's got to be a lot of fun, right? I've got this population and, and boy, they're going to be fun to work with. But do you find on some changes at least that, that their optimism, their Yahooism is almost a little superficial, a little naive? And once they start getting the real data in about what this is really going to mean, Maybe they even, it's like being on a sugar crash. Oh, that's <laughs> Do you so ever funny. run into that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. thing? So the Yahoos, I will say, are realistic. So in general, they're Yahoo, but they're not sort of pie in the sky folks. And they have a realistic sense that the change is going to have, you know, both ups and downs. And it's not all, you know, sunsets and singing songs. Right. So I find that if people are too like what you just described, Yahoo, everything's fine. Great, great, great. That is fake and is phony. Really? <laughs> So, but aren't people, there's some people that are just change junkies. They like to change just oh, for the yeah. sake of change. And they're hard to manage. I'll tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> because when things are not changing, they're bored. Right. I need more change. <laughs> exactly. You got to manage the non-change, exactly. right? Exactly. Because they don't like maintenance, right? right. It's like being <laughs> adrenaline junkie. Right. You like these people that do extreme sports. Right. Like, how are they going to just sit down and watch television? Like, after you've been jumping off buildings Right. Once you've stuff. jumped off the cliff, you know... Hey. I got to have another clip. Exactly. All right. So you may not need or want that person that we're describing. <laughs> and I noticed that you keep looking over here at me, Lee, uh, but you do want someone with a, a, a little, uh, I don't know what uh, resilience. Uh, is, is that the right word? A little scar tissue, a little, a little yeah, yeah, toughness, yeah, yeah, yeah. a grit, 
right? Uh, of great, oh, you, yeah, you, you do grit. want that, right? Yeah, or cultivate absolutely. That. And it's very interesting because one of the biggest ahas I have in working with people on change is to realize that not everybody is resilient. And there are certain life experiences that give people resilience. Is that the same bell curve, the 10? Oh, I don't know uh, the bell curve for resilience, but here's what I'll tell you. It seems that resilience is built on surviving some adversity mm-hmm. and that it's very tough to have grit if nothing has happened to you. Well, do you think that's a challenge going forward with so many of the kids today where their parents are so overprotective and kind of helicoptering over their oh, lives yeah. and they're never... You know, they never have to deal with the bad news or some failure because their parent is always coming in and rescuing them. Oh, boy, do I. As a matter of fact, I just want to say there's an excellent article in Psychology Today, I think last month, about that, just that very thing. And if you talk to college presidents, they will tell you the number one problem they have right now is the inability of young folks at college to deal with disappointment. So the boyfriend hmm. breaks up with them. They get a C or whatever. They're devastated. Completely. Yeah. Non-functioning. You can't get out the bed. You're banging on the door with security. And it all has to do with, I didn't have to deal with any disappointment because any disappointment that came my way was blunted. I got a trophy for everything. That's right. Don't get me started <laughs> with this. I got You're not a, a fan of the participation. No. <laughs> and nobody ever told me no or not a good right. job. And now I don't know what to do. And I can't navigate it. Right. So people tell me stories about parents calling the organization like, why did, you know, Joe get, you know, this on the his company? performance appraisal. Get out of here. <laughs> and Someone I, called the company. The mother. The mother. Whoa, you're dude. not. That is not true. Uh, that is true. I'm going to tell mean, mom to call you. In my company, but <laughs> I have heard, heard people stories. say that the, the parent, mother and people in HR have told me parents have called them about <laughs> their performance appraisal. And that is just. I'm going to have my mind. mom call you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. That, but the point amazing. is, right? If I never let you deal with anything if i never let you fail that's what i mean i'm a parent of an 18 year old and it drives me crazy when i see these other parents letting the kid like you know kind of saving them and rescuing them at all turns school is when you want them to fail the stakes are so low there's no real kind of ramification right of getting in trouble in fifth yes. grade. You you're know? not going to lose your home. <laughs> right. Making right, two right, or three right. bad if, decisions. If in the your first fifth grade. time you fail is you're 25, <laughs> this is no, a that's problem. a problem. And this is what I see in classes. So when we do resilience training, what There's we resilience notice, training. There is. Well, give me an example of resilience of the, training. Okay. So resilience is not a trait you're born with, meaning like whatever you had on the day you were born in the nursery, like an APGAR score, you don't have like a resilience score and it doesn't get any better. So you can enhance your resilience, right? So let's say a component of resilience is uh, attitude or optimism or flexibility. Okay. I can absolutely train you and give you exercises to make you be more flexible, to force you to reframe. So, um, that thing I told you before, between the challenge and the opportunity. So you're going to force me to I'm fail. I'm going to force you to look at <laughs> right. something. No, you got to make, me make fail, you see right? both sides exactly. of the coin. Exactly. Make you see both sides because usually yeah. you're predisposed to seeing, you know, this is the worst thing ever right. as opposed to it's possible to be something else. But can you, can you uh, create an environment where the person doesn't succeed 
and then they learn how to deal with that. Isn't that life? Well, to me it is. But for some people, so, uh, for you want to box it and sell it though? Is that what you're saying? I'm using? trying to, to to teach a person to be more resilient. It seems like they yeah, have to fail, lab, right? Yes. Some, somehow, I, I in some manner, right. I'd not get the like uh, most stellar thing, right? And or not get the outcome, they, up. right? Exactly. Uh, and especially these high performers, where they're used to success, time and time. Look, I always win. I'm always, you know, in the top of my class of or whatever. And then you put them at the bottom, and then you. It's very humbling, right? And I don't think for many people they've sort of uh, drunk from failure's cup <laughs> enough, if right. you will, right? So that you know, there's a a famous uh, writer, Zora Neale Hurston, and she has this beautiful line. She says, "I've been in sorrow's kitchen and licked out all the pots." <laughs> and for many people, we have not been in sorrow's kitchen, right? And so in this article I was telling you about in Psychology Today, the CEO says he no longer wants the pampered elite school kids. He wants he likes immigrant kids. He wants a C student a little bit who's been through mm-hmm. adversity. Right. And he's telling these colleges, don't send me that group. Right. Of I want the, the hungry people. Kid. Exactly. I want the kid that went through something. Right. They and crawled maybe, on, yeah, on glass. And was on the boat and right. you know, had to struggle. It's about struggle, right? right? I think as parents, we have a delicate uh, balance between letting them struggle and stopping the struggle. It's right. tough. It, it's or very least tough. I find it's it very tough. tough. But to finish the equation, I mean, you do want them to struggle. You do want them to, to taste the sorrow. But... But you also want them to have tasted the sorrow and come through it. Exactly. So you want that winter piece too, right? Exactly. Right. You don't want them to be you don't paralyzed stuck there in and, the bowl. Right. <laughs> no, because what is resilience? Resilience is the ability to get back up, right? Right. Exactly. So it's the maintain or quickly recover, right? Despite stress and change. So if you can't bounce back right? Then that's not really resilience. To tell you the truth, resilience isn't enduring, right? So I can just endure the thing and absorb the thing. That's not resilience. Resilience is that I endure it, I learn something from it, and I come back to the next one better. I actually should do it. It's a time test. Resilience means, let's say, first time I broke up with a boy, it took me three months to get over it. If I'm resilient, the next one should take two months, the next one should take (laughs) one month. 15 minutes. I should be over it like in a week. Right? Right. Oh, that's funny. So this whole uh, idea of managing change, particularly at the organizational level or, or, or managing a uh, critical mass of people through change, are there a lot of differences um, uh, globally or, or with different cultures or in different sectors or industries? Sure, do, do you see sure. some distinctions in, with that regard? Well, I have to tell you, I personally don't. I always tell people, um, people are people. And it doesn't matter whether I'm in Manhattan or I'm in Mumbai. All people have to deal with change. What I do see is the type of change that people deal with may be responded to differently. So how they um, express their response to the change may be different culturally, but not the fact that they need change management in the first place. I think that at work, the thing that's great to see is it doesn't matter if I start my program in New York or in Tokyo. If I'm doing a merger in an organization, they will all be going through the same kind of change. It's just the Japanese um, target population may express that a little bit differently than the New York population. Mm-hmm. 
but they're they're describing the same exact thing. It's just how they express it. Now, do you find that in like in American culture, failure is not a, have a stigma maybe as much as in other cultures, though? No, I think nobody likes failure. <laughs> nobody likes it, but in some cultures, you only get so many swings at the bat. Yeah, you know, like yeah. we're here. You know, I ran, I tried five companies, failed each time, and still a, a venture capitalist might going. might exactly. say, "Oh, good." They well, you can even see that to do. <laughs> you can see that regionally and by industry, like like Silicon Valley is a little more like that than maybe Atlanta, right? Right, right. right. Because you know, in those kind of in the Silicon Valley kind of cultures, you want to fail fast. That's the name right. of the game. But there's no stigma necessarily. It's like, well, they, he knows what not right. to do now. Right. He's you got know, some like, scar exactly. tissue. So that's he like, is resent, right? That's like right. a benefit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So, but here's the thing. So I don't think it's about failure. So, so here's the four things I see people reacting to regardless where they are in the world. People react to a change in people, a change in place, a change in predictability, and a change in power. So whatever the change is, which one of those four P's do I have? Am I changing people on you? So you've been working with this guy. I'm taking this guy away. Mm -hmm. uh, you've been doing it here. Now I want you to go do it in Brooklyn at Metrotech. You know, is it predictable? I don't know what time you work. Maybe you work from nine to five. Okay, now I want you to work today from 12 to eight, tomorrow from eight to four. So I'm, you know, messing right. with you. And then you have a certain level in the organization. And now you got to go answer to her. And so I'm changing the power dynamics. Those are really the things people are reacting to. And then the failure piece is sort of very personally felt, whether it's a failure or not is sort of personally de determined. So for people in the profession, uh, particularly, I guess, the younger ones coming up, if, if they decide that they really like this disciplined area of, of change management, I mean, there's always going to be work in this arena, isn't there? Oh, I hope so, from your lips to God. <laughs> right? So here's the thing that's always true. Change will always be occurring, right. and organizations and individuals will always need a guide, right? Because yeah. it's not easy, and it's emotional. And usually you want someone sort of uh, giving you some You're the path. Sherpa. Yeah, you're funny, the, the, the change, Sherpa. The change I, Sherpa. I'd rather be called the Change Whisperer. Thing <laughs> ah, I like much, that. Really. Right? But um, isn't it ironic that change is happening all the time? Right. Like intellectually, we know things change. Exactly. But emotionally, we'd rather them not. Exactly. <laughs> and that kind of friction is where you have a job, right? Exactly. <laughs> and right there in that path is my existence. There you go. <laughs> right? Exactly. Because that's the thing. Most organizations appeal to that rational part of you. You know change is happening. It was happening from you were born. It's happening every day, blah, blah, blah. The problem is the emotional side actually is not liking that so much. Even when you institute the change, you still have the emotion, right? So if you decide you're going to move someplace, it doesn't make it any less emotional, right? It's just usually we find the speed. So if I say you have to move to Brooklyn, you're on my clock. If you say you have to move to Brooklyn, you're still going through the same thing. You just may go through it faster. Right. Because I impose that change on you as opposed well, to... Well, because you added the second P of power. Yeah. You've taken some power <laughs> right. away. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So now, tell me in your real life, 
you know, outside of your job and you're in this business of change. So how does this knowledge that you have impact you and your relationships with other people? Because you have this kind of understanding of change right. that maybe it's late. still all screwed up. <laughs> she just knows why. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Is that the answer? I love it. I love it. So it's really interesting. And I have to sort of, um, uh, sit on my hands or close my mouth to keep from sort of launching in to something because it's so surrounding me in life. So, for example, I have a 17-year-old and he's in that part where he's applying for college right. and everything has to be done by December 1st. <laughs> and there's a lot of uncertainty around what's going to happen. And the thing I notice is that everybody in the family feels this is good. This is positive. But for most people, uncertainty is not positive, not right. knowing where you're going to be going right. and who you're going to be with. And this and is a life changing event. Live. I don't want to mess this and up. I'm leaving right. my house. I'm losing the place. I'm losing <laughs> right. the people. I'm losing the predictability. All the peas. All, All the peas. The but somehow we think this is great. <laughs> well, you're happy. <laughs> but so why is that that that? We have this ability to frame some uncertainty as a really good thing mm -hmm. and other times not. So um, I came into this field, quite frankly, as a teenager watching how people break up. Huh. So that was my research as a little girl <laughs> in Brooklyn. I noticed that people like my good looking cousin, Georgie, mm -hmm. when they broke up with a girl would immediately get five other girls to mm -hmm. replace her. And that the girls would play sad songs <laughs> and they would just write in their journal. <laughs> right. And it would be longer. And I was like, oh, this is very interesting. What's going on with this guy? The, the five girlfriend thing didn't actually work out for my cousin. But it was something about him that he just said, okay, I lost that. Let me move forward quickly. Right. And there was something about these girls that said, well, let's wallow in it and give it a soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> you know, come back to the thing, you know. But so in my personal life, I am constantly validated that what I teach in the workspace around the cycle of change people go through at work is the same thing you go through in life. So, mm -hmm. you know, we believe there's a curve, right, a change curve where you sort of anticipate change. Then the change happens. So you have to let go and face the fact that change. Then you get in the middle and completely disoriented. I'm not in the future. I'm not in the past. But then you come up. And then eventually you get to the end of the curve where you're back to where, you know, you started. The new status quo. Exactly. Right. And so I find that in life, that absolutely is true. Mm -hmm. It really is. What an absolute delight to have you come <laughs> in here and hang with us and talk about change. There must be a, a great deal of uh, literature, a, 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 just a growing body of work around this stuff. Uh, just to, as we wrap. Stuff that you read or listen to, you know, whether it's when articles. Your or, book or your blog yeah. coming out. Oh, I'm telling you to change Whisperer. That's right. So, I mean, there, uh, I love reading and I'm constantly listening to audiobooks, constantly listening to people talk about change, whether that be a TED Talk or just an interview. And so what I find is if you really pay attention you will see that it all boils down to one thing, and that's this, that you look at change as a time of possibilities. That's really what it is. Mm. So I look at this void of I don't know, and I say, this is, there are possibilities here that wouldn't happen 
if the change didn't occur. Right. And that's really the secret for anybody that does it successfully. For those people that don't do it successfully, for whatever reason, they got mired in the loss, mm-hmm. right, rather than the possibility. Well, is it that certain, I mean, is it an optimistic or pessimistic kind of philosophy of life? Like if you're Sometimes. optimistic, then change has possible positive things and if you're pessimistic it's like oh here it goes again another bad thing it is but sometimes you know i think sometimes that's so simple right because i think people can be sort of pessimistic in general but optimistic about Mm -hmm. a certain thing Mm -hmm. i think it's really about that person's perception of their ability to overcome so i'll give you an example so what we know for sure is when people believe something is all-consuming, right? So something is wrong in this particular area of my life, but now my whole life is ruined, right? That's not a good way to manage change, that it's pervasive in general. It's more, it's temporary and local. Right. Well, you can deal with that because it's going to go away. Exactly. So so That's really what it is. Less Eeyore, more Tigger. (laughs) (laughs) That is a good way to wrap it up, but I love... Temporary and local. Temporary and local. Because that's the bottom line. Well, this has been great fun. Thank you so much for coming out here. You're welcome. This has been a really fun, informative conversation. And uh, listeners, please be on the lookout for the the book that I'm sure will be coming out. The Change Whisperer. The Change Whisperer. Or uh, keep your hands off my peas, the brilliance of resilience. <laughs> but we'll work I on like the title. It. But, but, it, but it's coming. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. And let's do it again. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. We will be back in a few from Park Avenue. This has been a special Business Radio X production brought to you by Training Pros, your source for local learning and development experts. Learn more at training-pros.com.